0: And she just sipped uh, a cigarette, like, she said, you ever think about entertainment law? And I thought, what is that? Is that like entertainers dancing? You know, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. when you say entertainment law, I'm thinking, are we singing or something? And she said, no, it's um doing our contracts. As Black artists, we don't have African Americans represented."
1: Welcome to Musical.ly Hitched a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack.
2: Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds
1: Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Hitched. Hitched. Enjoying the content on Musical.ly Hitched? You can support this podcast by following and leaving a rating and review. James L. Walker Jr. of Walker & Associates recently made Billboard's 8th Annual Top Music Lawyers List for 2022. Over the past three decades, Walker's Atlanta based firm has represented high profile music clients, including Aretha Franklin and Bobby Humphrey, as well as distinguished civil rights leaders, such as the families of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Dick Gregory, among others. Walker is managing cases in 15 jurisdictions, with two recent copyright infringement cases involving client Andre Sims, whose lawsuit over the Her Track Focus was settled in 2021.
2: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Zach Reynolds for another episode of Musically Hits. Today I have a special in-studio guest and more importantly, a great friend, Mr. Attorney James Walker Jr. James, good to see you. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, thanks for joining us today. This is all about discussing how our lives are intertwined with the gift of music. And this brother is no exception. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's been a long time coming. We always have great ones. So we're gonna invite you all to be a part of it today. So let's get it to it, shall we? So James, I always like to start with, you know, we've known each other for a while. I don't wanna take anything for granted. Uh, can you take us to your roots? Where did you start your musical journey? But maybe even more importantly, where are you from? Where were you
0: born? And when did you realize that music was a part of you in sure. your DNA? I was born in Norfolk, Virginia, where my dad still lives, and my parents separated when I was very, very young, and mom moved to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And at about 11 or 12 years old, they put a trumpet in my hand, and then at church, they put me in front of an organ. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I started at 11 or 12 years old playing the trumpet in about sixth grade. And I'd always loved music, but I had little flutes that I played, you oh, uh, know, cool. uh, recorders you buy in the store. Mm-hmm. I flew around recorders, but never anything serious, and then, Music teacher John Pearson took me under his wing at about 12 years old mm. from sixth grade and I stayed with him from sixth grade through twelfth grade wow. and I played trumpet during the week and on the weekends for parades, graduations, whatever and to the point where you know he was looking at sending me to Berkeley Wow! to study music by the time I got to my senior year and then I visited Howard and decided I wanted to go to Howard to prepare for law school but I was still always playing organ, piano, organ, mm. piano doing weddings, um, all the talent shows at Howard, um, doing the Apollo, and from 12 year old on, I just love music. My mother says I would come home go in a room and just practice the trumpet all day. Yeah. And then it got to the point where you know, you find five, you're 12, 13, 14 years old, you find the other guys who do that, yeah. and everybody's got a room with synthesizers uh-huh. and drum uh-huh. machines, and you're uh, reproducing the popular rap songs at the moment or the popular um, pop culture music songs and trying to see, can we play them? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Eric B and Hemp. I mean, we could do all the bass lines. I still can play them wow. to this day because we would have just jam sessions all the time. And it's great now, a lot of the guys from that same crew are in the music industry as songwriters, producers, oh, engineers, cool. attorney, yeah. and we all still stay very tight. Because wow. I remember the days in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I grew up right outside of New York, probably 50 or so miles from New York, yeah. and we were playing our instruments. And I look at it now as just an outlet. Okay. Just something that, just a release. Every now and then I'll do a wedding. Every now and then in Atlanta, the St. Regents will have me just come over and play on Friday night. You know, really? if I'm in the neighborhood and there are people there who know I play, they'll say, hey, you can take the piano for an hour or two and I'll just do a litany of love songs. So James, you're like, like the
2: guy at Von Mar over at the perimeter wall. they've always had like a lot of people do okay in the store but no i think it's the, the store and it's always incredible to hear
0: people it's just sit there and just play for hours so yeah, you you've done that before. i've done it a lot of times wow. at St. um i mm-hmm. used to have my staff They're practicing law now over 20 years and what i used to do back in the 90s and early 2000s is i would tell my staff book me somewhere where they have a piano mm-hmm. because I don't really drink I don't really smoke i'm not the guy club hopping at night mm-hmm. so if i went into a city and I'm in the city from tomorrow morning you know, through the next morning, and I'm gonna have meetings from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., mm-hmm. when I get back to my room at 10, 11 o'clock at night, I would wanna have a piano. Yeah. So my staff would book me at hotels, the Embassy Suites, the Marriott, yeah who had a piano somewhere in the, in the building so I could go play And the funny story, Zach, is you always get the hotel manager that's like, he's got a big <laughs> sign up, do not play, <laughs> do not touch. And you walk over and you start playing Here and Now by Luther Vandross, right. or Greatest Love of All by Whitney, or Misty, or something popular by Michael Jackson, or El DeBarge. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the whole room yeah. gravitates. Somebody and get that sign, take that sign. And man. then the manager, never fail, comes on and goes, Right, right. <laughs> just, keep, just go have fun. Because everybody awesome. in the lobby, you know, is enjoying exactly. the fellowship. And for me, it's just a release. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to draw you. I'm just sitting there getting out that 12 hour day. That's awesome. And that's what music basically does. It's very uh, cathartic, therapeutic, and just emotionally relaxing. Mm-hmm. If you really get into it and play by ear and read music as I do, you oh, can man. enjoy music on a whole. You know, a different level. That's
2: awesome. So when did you learn, I just heard you say you, you, you read music. Mm-hmm. So that was obviously a part of the training and band. And band. So you still
0: read, sight mm-hmm. read, still someone sight puts
2: me. a sheet of music in front of you, just
0: like, like, a a, like a book. Like a book, yeah. Wow. And I took the trumpet, which is written in the same kind of bars as the mm-hmm. piano, the notes are the same. So I took what I learned in trumpet and just, Transferred over to teach myself how to read sheet music on the piano. Awesome. And sometimes I'll take paper out, draw five lines, mm-hmm. and pick something by, up by ear. And when you get this age, you start worrying okay, if I don't chart this out, <laughs> I'm going to wake up next week and say, How did I play that uh, John Legend song again? Yeah, so right. you'll take pen out and you'll start right now F, G, A. B, C, mm-hmm. lower F, you know, so that when you look at this next week, you can remember the general progressions, oh, yeah. song, yes. mm-hmm. and then your ear will kick in if you remember the melody. That's but fantastic. I'll write it all out on sheet music all the time just to keep it, you know, familiar. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing churches, I was a minister of music for years. I had to learn the whole hymnal. Okay. I moved yeah. to Hartford after Howard and young couple married kids. And I remember I was at a church called Archer Memorial AME. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. the bishop's wife, I came in here and I'm rocking Kirk Franklin, you know, the reason why I was singing. Exactly. and I'm thinking I'm going to kill her. She hand me a hymn book and said, can you learn can pretty you much play? every hymn in here? <laughs> All the famous ones? Right. And you come to church the next Sunday and the bishop would say, we're going to do hymn number 418. Uh-huh. We're marching to Zion. And you had to read that book, you That's know, right. and learn how to move with the service. And at the time. You know, you're in your 30s, I didn't really appreciate it, but over time, I was like, wow, this mother really taught me something. Yeah, like right. how to appreciate real music. Exactly. So I started traveling with my hymn book mm. and with a little binder that had like, <laughs> all my favorite songs in it. Yeah, and during offering time, I could go to my binder, right. and Play, you know, More Than Life by Kirk Conquerors, by exactly. Kirk Franklin. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then during the regular, regular, you're putting the hymn book up at the cross, leaning, what a fellowship. We're marching to Zion, all those kind of songs were in the hymn book, Mm -hmm. and you had to know them. Mm -hmm. And every now and then, the bishop would say, we're going to go off the program. We're not going to do 412, we're going to do hymn number 626. Uh And you got to then be able to, you Uh know, walk on the air air (laughs) (laughs) until you get it. But God is good. Um, Had a great experience there, could go back tomorrow and play if I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it really kept the family close, being, you know, Involved in the church, everything. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's
2: come back to that point. You said something that was powerful just now. You can go back if you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I want to hit is the idea of how you start something and how you finish are not always the same. You can you, A lot of people don't start as well as they finish. You know, you get better with things over time. But leaving well is important in this industry as well. And well no
0: in every industry, I, um, I tell my staffers, I tell my law students, every summer we hire three or four law students, and a few kids from Howard, Spelman, Clark, wherever. And I always tell my law students, they show up May 20th, Mm -hmm. and they're gonna work from May until about the first week of August. Right. Um, And I always tell them, it isn't how you showed up, it's how you leave Mm -hmm. that people remember. Wow. So once you tell Amber, my executive assistant, hey, my last day is July 30th, or my last day is August 5th, I tell these kids, young lawyers and young kids, I say, look, close out those last two weeks on fire, on fire. because that's what she's going to remember. Mm-hmm. And you're going to call three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks from now and say, I need a letter of reference. And if people remember you were late, didn't show up at all, turned in maybe tacky work or not proofread kind of documents or just wasn't on your A-game the last final two weeks, they don't care how great you showed up. Wow! They don't care how you started. Sure. And we've had people, they come in and they go right here, working mm-hmm. so hard, and then they kind of just, Towards the end, skimp her out, you know, wow. and you kind of say, "What happened to Zach? He he came on so strong. He's going to meetings with me. He was mm-hmm. turning stuff early. He was reviewing documents. He was up all night on emails." And then the end of the summer, Zach is like ghost yeah. because in right. his head, it's kind of like, "Oh, I'm already in my next yeah. space." People leave before they leave. They
2: leave before. They leave. My wife calls that the representative. That's mm. The first six months, mm. she says, when you meet someone new or you're doing a new new job, could be for musicians, it could be a gig. Six months most people are still kind of in performance mode. Wow. And at a certain point, it becomes hard to keep up with the performance. Wow. If that's it's deep. not really who you are. That's deep. You will show your true colors eventually.
0: When I was a minister of music, I was considered the older guy just in my 30s, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of 20-somethings and even teenagers who were co-musicians with me at the various churches where you play, and I would constantly try to tell them that, like, you know, okay, we hired you this Sunday. Yeah. You're going to back me up on the organ? I'm going to be on piano. I'm going to kind of lead the Florida service. Mm-hmm. You're going to jump in an organ. And they were coming all, amp- you know, the first week or two. Okay. And then about month three, yo, Doc, um, I can't make rehearsal. Yo, Doc, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the eighth service. I'm only going to make the ten service because right. I got this gig over here that Zach wants me to play for. Yeah. Or I got this wedding I got to get to. Or I got this concert I got to play for. Mm-hmm. And I started telling them guys, like, you, you can't do that because first it's just not right. But then secondly, this community is small and people talk. Right. And you'll get a reputation right. as being a guy who doesn't show up or who's not reliable. Yeah. And I've seen some very, very talented musicians who find themselves out of work or who find themselves doing gig, maybe here, maybe there, maybe there, but nothing consistent mm-hmm. because the pastors talk right. and the community talks. And Zach is not gonna bring you to do one of his gigs with him. Not, if it's right. a 50-50 chance, you may or may not show up for the recitals. No matter how bad you are. Mm-hmm. And where I used to humble them is, you know, they, they could play anything by heads. They could play Kirk. They could play Kirk Carr. They could do any of these songs, right? right? And they could do all the R&B stuff. Right. I would simply come to the piano, pick out Total <laughs> Praise, and set the sheet music right there and say, we're well, going to play Total Praise and C-sharp. And they see that sheet music and they go, whoa, whoa, you know, because mm-hmm. they had never yeah. been trained that way. Right. And the reason I would do that, and after service, I would say, I did that intentionally mm-hmm. because I want you to see we all have a place to grow wow. and space that we need to grow. Yes. And we all have a talent that needs to continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. And you might be the baddest organist in town. But if I put a simple piece of sheet music in front of you and you can't play it, mm-hmm. you have to challenge yourself to say, I want to get that to my brain. Right. There's another level. There's another There's level. More than what we often display. That's
2: that's powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. So when did you realize that you were musically his? Like so you you got the the, the gift the trumpet. Mm-hmm. You we're playing your first chair. Was it clicking for you then that okay this is more than just
0: I, I'm glad you asked that question because I want to shout out my uncle Bill. My uncle Bill ran a construction company. Okay. When I was a teenager and I. I had done something really dumb around 14 and 15 I brought like a moped on the street for dirt cheap mm-hmm. and probably knew it was kind of hot or stolen okay. but I brought it off the street off a guy that I was working with at a, at a restaurant at the time as a busboy and a dishwasher get arrested on the moped find out the guy had stolen the moped and mm-hmm. sold it to be hot so I had to go through the court process mm-hmm. I go back to the guy I get a receipt give the receipt to the prosecutors they dismiss the case my uncle Bill then took me into his construction business. And he said, you're going to work with me every summer now while you're a teenager. You go to school, regular time, fall, spring. But you're going to work with me. And he saw that I had a love for music. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he took me over to the Philadelphia Music Store. There was a big music store on Broad Street in Philadelphia. And he said, pick out the best keyboard you want. And at that time, the Yamaha DX7 was yeah. the keyboard that everybody had. Everybody, yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody who was anybody had that DX7 brown keyboard yeah, yeah, had a little roller here. So he brought me that DX7, a rolling drum machine and a tracker, a tracking system. Okay. And I started layering tracks mm-hmm. at like 15 years old. So I would listen to a song on the radio and then I would go down his basement. He gave me like a little room about big as this, finished off. And I would sit there and at first I would lay down the drums. Then I would nice. lay down I never forget Michael Jackson's Liberian Girl off the Thriller album, I think, or off the Wall no. album. I no. sat there, and I learned the whole song through, and then I sat there and programmed every part. Sequenced it and, out. And sequenced it out, and my uncle would come down, and he would just say, wow. Like, he would hear me putting it all together. Yeah. And it was at that point that I realized, like, music is something I really, really love. Because yeah. you'd be in that basement hours, mm-hmm. stripping down songs, you know, to what I call re engineer them, reverse yeah. engineer them, right. breaking my own parts, and you'd have to hear, what is the drum doing? What are the strings doing? What are the horns doing? Then you might say, hey, I hear a flute on this. i want to put a flute on top of it. And I would do it with Grover Washington stuff. I would do it with Michael Jackson stuff, Phyllis Hyman stuff. I would just strip the song out. I remember the, the best one was um, Axo F from Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And both hands would be going yeah. and then I would add all of the little drums underneath it, the right. strain right. and the whole little wash sounds. This is right. arranging. I mean you, you that's arranging. Yeah, you just started yeah. arranging music. So But I would put the whole song together part by part and that's when I realized like I really, really enjoyed music. And I always felt like I was that raw baseball player who could throw a ball hard in the country. Mm. But probably need to go get that pitching coach <laughs> right, or that right. baseball, you know, extrote. Exactly. That's how music was for me, that if I went and gravitated to say a Berkeley mm-hmm. or even Howard's fine arts, right. I feel like somebody could have taken the rawness right. and really said, Okay, we're gonna teach you how to really arrange, yeah. how to really score. And in four years of Howard you'll be able to mm-hmm. you know? But it wasn't I like my son who sang when he was a teenager and got to that age where he decided to go to Howard, I think the same thing for the first time I'm realizing kind of happened to me. No. But I got to that same age of 18 and said, I don't love music enough to put the work in okay. to go to that next level. Okay. I'll always be a barroom piano guy mm-hmm. getting a dollar or a quarter in a cup. You know what I mean? Okay. But I'm mm-hmm. not the guy that's gonna go master this mm-hmm. to be a recording artist or to be a you know a true, true artist. And and I'm fine with that, you know, I'm fine with it, but I knew. Enough to know I had the goods. So James Howard University, you are a proud Bison. I've known that for <laughs> years
2: about <around laughs> you, and been very good reason to be so. So you you went there, you did your undergrad, and also law, law school. school. Yeah. So what was the main decision about why to go to Howard, and how did you continue along the journey? Because in essence, you said, uh, I'm going to stop music,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the musical pursuit at 18, but you literally lived your whole life serving musicians in some. Things. Yeah,
0: it's it's really ironic. Yeah, I um. I went on a bus trip. Miss Angela Edwards, who I talk about all the time on social media, older woman, um, she takes a group of kids every year to black colleges. Mm. So I was about 16, 17-ish, and my best friend, Robert Kirby, lived in Stanford. I lived in Bridgeport, and he told me about a bus trip he was going on. And they were gonna visit Morgan State, Howard, Norfolk State, A&T, and a few other schools, Mm -hmm. and I needed $58. And I remember Mm. I was washing dishes, as a bus boy and the moped story I told you about, I was getting to work on my little moped and paid the fifty-eight dollars. My mom didn't know Miss Edwards, we didn't know Miss Edwards. So I just got to Stanford and got on a bus. Nice and nice. we went to visit Morgan State and went to visit Howard. And when I got to Howard, we met some upperclassmen students and they kind of gave us tours of the campus. Mm-hmm. And me and Rob down there telling girls we went to Howard already. And then one of the girls was like, What's your major? Right. And we didn't know what that right. meant. Right. <laughs> And then the bus trip, Ms. Edwards was like, James, Rob, the bus is leaving, y'all got to get it. And the girls all looked at. I was like, y'all high school boys. But that trip changed my life because I saw Howard. I had never seen so many African-Americans, blacks, whatever, mm-hmm. um, just so together. Yeah. Like When you get to a black college, whatever it is, HBCU, You're sitting in a room with people from all over the diaspora, all over the country, and you're just amazed. Middle class, poor, wealthy, celebrity, athletic, whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're all in a room and it's all us. And I hadn't felt that in Mm -hmm. Connecticut, coming from a tough, gritty, inner-city school. I hadn't been in a setting with so many accomplished Mm African-Americans. And I felt like, wow, if I can perform here, I'm gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back to Bridgeport, all my guidance counselors, teachers were like, do you understand what it means to go to Howard? Right. They really kept drilling into me. I was acting a clown one day as a junior or senior in the hallway, and I'll never forget Mr. Keith Perryman-Joyne's guidance counselor. I said, Jimmy. He put me in the car, and he used to talk in English and in Spanish. He was a brother. Okay. And he would be, big, bam. And he would call you, and he'd say, hey, man. And slap you upside the <laughs> head and say, I was like, yo, Mr. and He'd say, man, you can even go to Howard. You can't be in these hallways acting like a knucklehead with all right. them kids over there. But mm-hmm. these were all my boys. They were in the streets. I lived in the projects for a minute. They lived in We all just related. But sure. so he would say, man, you have a chance here to do something special. Mm-hmm. And he tried to link me up with other Howard Brads who were older than me Very to good. kind of take me under the wing right. and get me the maturity mm-hmm. to understand what was at stake. And once I got to D.C., that first month of Howard, August of 86, I realized, like, wow, this is special. Because you get on the campus it's to say, yeah, that's that one. So you say, who's he? Well his father's the mayor of Chicago. Mm. Well, who's that over here? Oh, that's so-and-so. His brother owns all the restaurants. here. Well, who's that over there? That's so-and-so, you know, this Diddy he works for Andrew. You know, it was that kind right, of right. Yeah. kind of environment where everybody was just incredible. And, and you stand up in a class act and one by one a teacher say, All right, this is English 101, stand up and introduce yourself hi my name is Margie jackson i'm from minnesota i was a valetorian in my high school because you say tell us something about yourself mm-hmm. my name is tom smith i was number five in my class in detroit and one by one everybody had an yeah. incredible yeah. backstory right. of where they were that man or that girl or that dude wow. at their, in their local yeah. community they were you know uh, baton banquet uh, what do you call it, well, Jack and Jill? Mm-hmm. They had all of the accolades, wow. and I was just a gritty little single mom boy from Bridgeport, mm-hmm. but knew how to hustle. So I get to Howard, join the fraternity, and then I became the guy giving all the parties. My mom says, you know, she couldn't financially afford Howard, and I knew that when I left. I told her, me and my uncle would figure it out. Okay. So I started giving parties my sophomore year, I believe, and I probably gave seventy eight, maybe 90 parties from sophomore year to the time I graduated. Wow, wow. To the point where it culminated, as some people saw, with me mm-hmm. promoting Phyllis Hyman on the campus. Mm-hmm. So you financed
2: your education
0: mm-hmm. part, partially by way of the parties or completely by way of the parties? Probably 80% by way of the parties. Wow. Yeah, I think I borrowed 2500 or so. Mm-hmm. They just have this guaranteed student loan you can get. Yeah. And I think I borrowed once or twice for that, but everything else was the parties. So again, musically hits. Again, it's like continuing to yeah. see this thread in your
2: life, James, mm-hmm. where... You have never left music completely and in some ways it's literally it, it still is. It still is it's literally has been a means of survival and prosperity
0: for you. Music is the music of my life, I guess yes, you would say. Right. And the parties evolved into, once I saw others coming into the party space, like Diddy jumped in it. Yeah. Another I mean, party were you guys yeah. on campus at the we same were okay time? Up? We were boys, we were okay. very cool. You know, yes. i prayed with him before. I've always been the guy to give him scriptures whenever he sees me. Okay. When he was on trial with Johnny Cochran as his lawyer, who was mm-hmm. my mentor, I went to court to support him. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Raising in the Sun. I brought a whole group of kids from Bridgeport wow. to see the play. He came Boy. out, I went backstage and got him, because you know, Manager, he's not gonna come, he's busy. I said, I went backstage, puff, come on, man. Yeah, I got my boys out here from right. So he came out, sat with the crowd, sat with the kids for like an hour, him Felicia Shot, It was awesome in the, in the play. They came and talked to our kids. That, that was years ago. James was probably eight or nine, so it's been some years. But mm-hmm. the point I'm making is. At Howard, yeah, I was doing the parties. I saw others getting into that land space, so then I moved into concert step shows and plays. Okay. And we okay. evolved right into doing hundreds of concerts. We took a lick on the first ones, learning that game, mm-hmm. because the bigger promoters buy the market out. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing Zach to Atlanta. You got the hottest record in America, mm-hmm. but I'm not from Atlanta. The guys who are here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. they hear a word that I'm bringing you to Lyman Hall, or Crampton Hall, or some other hall. Okay. They go buy a ball advertising space. They just make one phone call because they're doing all the shows all year, so they can call Kiss FM or ABC or CBS who their advertising person is Mm -hmm. and they can basically say, hey, we're going to buy that space out. Their show isn't until December. Zach's show is August. Why are you buying ads? for a December show mm-hmm. in July and August. Mm-hmm. One reason, you want to make sure Zach shows up. Whole, yeah. You want to make sure it fails. Yeah. Because you don't want me to get my legs as I a new you. promoter at okay, the time. It, mm-hmm. So as an existing promoter here, you're carving out your turf to make sure, hey, mm-hmm. who's James Walker? And who said he could do a show in Atlanta? And I'm like, well, I got this hot artist, uh, Zach. I'm bringing yeah, him to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna do this BB King, or we're gonna do this venue. existing promoters spanked us in a few markets until we learned how to partner with them we learned how to pre-sell tickets to groups Mm -hmm. church organizations Mm -hmm. and fraternities and then once we did that we never took a hit again wow we probably sold out everything i mean just everywhere we went up to foxwoods we did 15 shows i think with bobby jones at foxwoods Mm -hmm. taking his bt and word Mm -hmm. network show there and we did a live recording we did Club BB King at Foxwoods. We also did a youth rally. This was all in like a homecoming week we put together with the mm-hmm. casino. Uh, Freddie Jackson performed one night. We got Patty LaBelle perform there for us. And we just sold everything up. Because so there, there was a particular person,
2: and this is still, we're still on Howard here. There was a, a lady, I don't remember her name, but you told me about her once. Could you tell our listeners about this specific individual who in essence inspired you to pursue entertainment law? So Howard sure. literally has evolved into you've gone from being a musician to now a, a full-time student of course, but also almost a Hall, so full-time
0: party program. Full-time, yeah. And there's this... Had a secretary in college. Wow. Had a secretary in She, secretary she hit me up on Facebook the other day. I posted a picture. The artist you referred to is Phyllis Ryman. Yes. I posted Phyllis's picture because she died June 30th, 1995. Okay. And she had a humongous impact on my life. So I posted a tribute to her in June to honor mm-hmm. her uh, memory and nicole posted on my facebook i remember something about a little concert we did with her back in the day from nicole was my right hand every morning i would give her checklist of 10 things we needed to do, mm-hmm. whether it was for our step shows, our parties, or Phyllis's event, okay. and she would run to the bank, she would make sure t-shirts were ready, she would make sure tickets were in every region of the campus, because Howard's a big campus, yeah. so you'd have to have somebody in the school business selling for you, someone down in what we call the Hill selling for you, someone in the Valley selling for you, someone over at the law school, someone over at the divinity school, nice. and then you have to have one person who's basically counting tickets and money for mm-hmm. you all week to see, okay, how many did Zach move over to the business school? Mm -hmm. How many did JW3 move over at the uh, law school? How many did Johnny move at the business school? And then I just kind of sit in the background Mm -hmm. and just watch the tickets and make sure everything's moving so that when we get up to the night of the show, we know, okay, we had pre-sold 600 seats or 700 seats for Mm -hmm. a step show or whatever that we were doing. But Phyllis Hyman was the lady after doing parties for three years and other events. I tried out doing a show with Phyllis at Crampton Art Town. We did two shows with her and I remember it was 15000 and I was a student, you know, raking up the money to mm-hmm. pay Phyllis 15000 and we were sitting in the bar after the show was over. I think we were over in Georgetown and I paid her and she's sitting there with a cigarette and, you know, she's a 47-year-old woman at the time. I think she died at 45 so she was probably 40-ish at the time but I'm 21, maybe 22, if that. Probably 21 and she's just like, so you, young man, have promoted this show. And I was like, yes, I am, ma'am." She said, I heard you going to go to law school. And I said, yes, I want to go be a civil rights lawyer, and I want to fight for my people, and Thurgood Marshall, and, you know, I was right, in that right. And she just sipped uh, snip a cigarette. Like, she said, you ever think about entertainment law? And I thought, what is that? Is that like entertainment dancing? You know, I'm thinking, when you say entertainment law, I'm thinking, are we singing or something? And she said, no, it's, um, doing our contracts, as black artists, we don't have African-Americans representing us. We have Jewish attorneys, white attorneys, no offense to them, but she said, we don't have many of us. Right. And if you look back in the early 90s, you can count on one hand the number of entertainment lawyers that I know of in that era. So that was in 90, took two years off, did Kirk Franklin's tour, did Marvin Sapp, did Stephanie Mills. These are shows I promoted Mm -hmm. all over the Mm -hmm. region. some early, early Tyler Perry stuff, I believe. David Talbert did some of his yeah. plays, did Shelly Garrett's plays. And when I say did them, what I mean is a promoter would call me and say, hey James, I have the Boston through DC market okay. for these shows. Right. And I'm uh-huh. gonna run nine weekends you know, mm-hmm. in those markets. Right. We heard about what you do. We need a young guy who knows how to run a street team, who knows how to buy radio ads. Right. We're gonna pay you this much a week. Can you be that young man for us? Nice. So the national promoter might hire me to handle New Haven, New York, Boston, Philly, whatever. And then my job was to put together the crew to make sure the tickets got to the street, the posters got up, t-shirts got out, giveaways got done, interviews got arranged. And it was cool for me. I was almost like the subcontractor on a bigger show to the point where we could afford our own shows. Mm-hmm. And we would just buy, rent a menu out and bring our own artists in. But between 90 and 92, after that conversation with Ph- uh, Phyllis Hyman, that's what I did. I did shows all up and down the East Coast, to the point where I got to law school in 92, mm-hmm. and I had a show called Our Young Black Men Are Dying and No One Cares at the Warner Theater in D.C. Wow. I'm a freshman in law school, mm-hmm. and the radio stations are running my ads for okay. the shows <laughs> downtown at the theater. Nice. And I kept it real low, and then one of my classmates caught on to what I was doing and kind of started telling people you know he's promoting shows while he's in school mm. and paid for law school and from that my law professor Spencer Boyer heard about what I was doing and pulled me in a meeting he was teaching contracts okay. as a freshman in law school first year and he took me to his office and said let me see one you contracts and I showed him a contract I had drafted that I was using for my parties and yeah. my events right. and he said this is wrong this is wrong he ripped it all apart, and I thought I was really doing some law, you know, I've been promoting for three or four years, you yeah, couldn't course, tell me nothing, course. we were just blazing. He said, I'm going to take you under my wing. And he had, at that time, William Beckton as a client. Okay. Be encouraged. Okay. Was platinum. Yeah. Be encouraged. The big records back then was Kirk Franklin, We Sing, William Beckton, Be Encouraged, and I think Yolanda Adams later with Open My Heart. To the gospel. And God, the gospel. John Yes. So, and in law school, I always told folks I just wanted to represent gospel artists for some reason. I came out of the church, Mm -hmm. church musician. I was not trying to come into entertainment law as a hip-hop guy or any of that. I just wanted to help the gospel artists, and nobody looked that way. Mm -hmm. So we came out and immediately made impact because no one was really looking that way. But Kirk Franklin, William Beckton, Beckton was being represented by my law professor, Spencer Boyer, and Mr. Boyer took me on his wing as a first, second-year law student, And by the time I got to third year, I could take his exam without even studying for him because I knew so much about entertainment law just from him grooming me and did well in the class and went back home to a big firm and started building my entertainment practice in 95.
2: To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. This is Zach Reynolds Jr. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically
1: Itched.